You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to Strange Familiars. How you doing, Allison? I'm doing okay. It's a bright sunny day, which is not when we normally record. We should be recording outside. <laughs> so we can get extra ambient truck noises. On tonight's show, we are going to be tackling a story that you've wanted to do for a long time, Allison. Yeah, and then when we did our uh, patron episode about changelings, it reminded me, I was like, we never did the story about Diane, which is something that we've been working on sort of off and on for... Uh, probably five or six years, probably since the very start. I think it was in some of our first notes of stories to do for Strange Familiars. Our friend Diane was a foundling. It's a pretty incredible story. She was left on the porch of an Amish farm. It's not like she's 85. This happened recently. She's about our age. So. Yeah, yeah. Super interesting story, which we will get to shortly. Before we move on to that, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Monster Fuzz. Did you know I was a character in one of their recent episodes, Allison? Oh, you're always a character. <laughs> Are you Shakira? I wish. <laughs> I wish I was Shakira on so many levels. No, I was, I think, a police detective. It's the episode titled 
the gonk, I believe. And then uh, they did a Bunny Man episode recently, mostly talking about Bunny Man Bridge and the Bunny Men down there in Virginia. Monster Fuzz, you can check them out wherever you get podcasts, monsterfuzz.com. The episode in which I'm a character ended on a kind of cliffhanger. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. Who knows what happened? Before we get into Diane's story, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. Thank you for everything you do. If you want to help support Strange Familiars and get extra content, you can become a patron at Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. There's different levels of support there, but all of our patrons get extra content, two full extra episodes of Strange Familiars every month. I'm getting ready to drop the second for our patrons this month. It has to do with my oppressive encounter in Hex Hollow at the end of April. That'll be coming very soon. Again, Patreon, you help support the show, you get extra content. Our patrons help us make Strange Familiars. Patreon.com slash Strange Familiars. So before we talk to Diane, you dug up, this is one of the original newspaper articles? Yeah, and, and just for some background context, this happens fairly close to us. If you're familiar with sort of the funny named Pennsylvania Dutch counties that dot the Lincoln Highway between York and Philadelphia, like Intercourse and Bird in Hand, this happens very close to there. <laughs> this happens in 1976. This is May when a little baby is found on a porch in Gordonville, Pennsylvania. This is from the Philadelphia Inquirer on May 27, 1976. Kin sought for infant left at farm. Gordonville, Pennsylvania. A four-month-old girl abandoned on the front porch of an Amish farmhouse near here is being held for observation at Lancaster General Hospital while police try to find her mother. State police said yesterday that they were checking footprints of all female babies born in the last six months at Lancaster and Chester County Hospitals, trying to learn the identity of the baby, who was temporarily been named Jane Doe. The infant, described as a healthy blue-eyed blonde, was left on the porch of the home of an Amish woman, Mrs. Annie Lentz, 68, at about 11 p.m. Tuesday. Mrs. Lance and her daughter Rebecca, 38, said that they noticed a car parked with the headlights on about 100 yards up the road from their farmhouse late Tuesday, the woman said they then saw the shadow of a person who walked up to the farmhouse and then walked away. The woman said that they had been frightened, and Mrs. Lance said she woke up her son David, who went out on the porch and shouted, It's a child! It started to cry, but we were afraid to touch it until the police came, Mrs. Lance recalled. Because the Amish family does not have a telephone, David hooked up a horse and buggy and rode a mile up the road to a local blacksmith shop where he used a pay telephone to call the police. The police questioned the family and took the baby to Lancaster General Hospital. I have no idea who or what or why they picked our house, Mrs. Lance said, referring to the child's mysterious arrival. Her daughter Rebecca added that, In years past, we've had pets left on our porch, but when it comes to babies, that's really far out. A hospital spokesman yesterday said that the baby was in excellent condition and had arrived at the hospital dressed warmly, wrapped in a blanket, and wearing a bonnet. Did that Amish person say, that's really far out? Well, I guess her daughter, who's 38 and much hipper. <laughs> I, yeah, I found that hard to believe, too. <laughs> there are a succession of articles with very tear-jerking titles like, Who Would Abandon This Beautiful Baby Girl? It's like... Oh, yeah. So that's Diane. Who looks the same in these pictures from 1976 as she does now. It's 
I don't know that I'd be able to say, oh, yeah, that's definitely that baby if I, with that span of time going, but I have no doubt this is Diane. Well, let's go ahead and talk with Diane and get the story direct from the foundling herself. I'd like to welcome Diane to the show. How are you doing, Diane? Doing great. It's always fun to be, be I mean, usually we're in the woods, but <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun to be around you guys. You were one of the first local people, lo- like local listeners we had, and we met very early on in the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you were maybe three in. Okay. Yeah, I might be wrong. It might have been one or one or five somewhere in that, but you were in single digits for sure. Wow. Uh, we had seen that your band was playing at the Albatwitch Festival. Okay. And decided that my well, my boyfriend decided that he needed to have a CD, <laughs> and so we were there on a mission. Really didn't know much about Albatwitch or any of that at all. We were there specifically because he saw your band was going to be there, and he knew you could buy a CD. Oh, that's that's so nice. <laughs> so it was very, very pinpointed. And then getting to hear you speak, uh, I felt like I was kind of stalking you for a little while there because <laughs> I was going, I was going to a lot of the same events that you were because we just had gotten really into it. We saw you over in Gettysburg then, and actually, the very first time we saw you, I didn't introduce myself because you were at the, oh, it was the punk rock flea market. Okay. And that's where Jeremy heard about you. Wow. From seeing you at the punk rock flea market. Wow. So that's how far back it goes. Yeah, that's a good way. (laughs) Wow. For the listeners, Diane has been on the show before. She was the one who gifted us the rock that she felt was thrown at her in the cemetery in Columbia, Pennsylvania, which Chad then re-gifted at Gazoo's Woods, and we had that crazy night afterwards. So I don't know whether we can thank your rock or, <laughs> or not. Hey, if it had anything to do with it, awesome. If not, it was still awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not talking about Bigfoot tonight. At least, I don't think so. You don't have any Bigfoot in your family, do you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have this amazing story, and I don't know how long... We had known each other before you told us this story, and you told us, and Allison and I were both blown away, and we thought, well, this is a show, and at the time, you were kind of under a... Uh, <laughs> like an NDA Prime directive. Or right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, because you were you had done a TV show. Yes. Which you can mention if you want, if not, no big deal. Yeah, I, they, they did all right with the whole situation. I didn't walk away unhappy. The long lost family that was on the TLC network. I guess my episode is the last one of season three. It's episode 11. And it's called My Birth Certificate Says Jane Doe. Okay. So, so Diane, for listeners, Diane was a foundling. She was left on uh, the doorstep or the porch of an Amish family? The porch of an Amish home. Yep. Wow. Front porch. I've always been curious, Diane, like, when did you find out, not the entire backstory, but when did you find out you were adopted? I always knew that. That was not ever anything that was hid from me. I had books. Um, I guess there was a specific genre of books you could buy for adopted kids that were along the lines of, you're special, you're the chosen baby, that kind of thing. All those things to make you feel less awkward about it. But it was never an issue, uh, other than the fact that my parents are, are definitely older, which is still kind of 
rough to this day. But in general, I always just always knew. Yeah, I'm the one that sort of started the process to find out the rest of it. Um, My family knew. They knew when they adopted me who they were getting and why they were getting me specifically at that point. But when I was 16, I was doing a family tree project for school and I was kind of mad about it. <laughs> because, yeah, when you're 16, you have to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, look, all these other people are doing these family trees. Now, granted, my, my adopted mother's father had one of the old Bibles mm-hmm. and everything for this family. My adopted family is in that Bible. It wasn't like it made the project hard for me. He had already laid it all out. But I was just kind of mad because I was like, these aren't really my people. I mean, they're my people, but they're not my people. Mm-hmm. And so I called the adoption agency that still exists and uh, said, hey, uh, I'm about to turn 18. Wait, lie. <laughs> I'd like to know the information. When can I see my file? How do I go about seeing my file? And so in your mind, I'm sure like you probably had like a fantasy idea of the backstory. So like, what was your idea in your head of probably what happened? Oh, well, I, I had that fantasy handed to me on a silver platter. The movie Annie had come out okay. when I was younger. And there's a really poignant song from that movie where it talks about, I bet you they're smart. Um, I bet you they're into collecting ashtrays and art. Their only mistake was giving up me. If I really need it to be, it's a, it's a tear crusher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I can crash to that song pretty quickly. Maybe that's the name of the song from Annie. But yeah, I always had visions of, oh, maybe I got taken away or my mom's a princess or you name it. I mean, you go through all of that as a kid. I think it's common in adoptees to wonder and, and create better stories than are possible. Did you know the the rough story, though, of being dropped off on the porch of the Amish? No. Oh, you, no. So you didn't even know that. And did no. your parents, once you it was revealed to you what had happened, did they explain to you why they kept that information from you? Or they just were waiting well, for another time or were never going to tell you? Or So I sent the letter into the adoption agency saying, please, I'd like this information the lie about my age, you know, which was stupid because I mean, they're looking up what would be birth stuff as far (laughs) as I, I, but you know, I I had no fear. This is what I was doing. I was very determined. And um, they sent an unmarked letter to my parents with a typed envelope and said, your daughter called the adoption agency. I went and looked up her file and saw who she was and just wanted to let you know that she's asking questions. That was pretty much then balls in their court. Sometime, I believe it was around my birthday, they sat me down and my mother's father was quite a collector. He had been in finance. He was a really neat dude, but he was a stamp collector, a National Geographic collector. We had about 300 of them in his house. And uh, he had old newspapers. So when they found out who they were getting as a baby, he went back into all of his old newspapers and had cut out the originals of all of those articles. And when my parents sat down and had the conversation with me, which was, this is the situation that which we got you, they had all the original. I mean, that was in the 90s. And 
we're talking the original articles from the 76, 77. So did your parents, obviously they had heard about your story. Were they like in line for a baby and you just happened to be the next available baby that, that they were eligible for? Or was there a more specific targeted approach towards getting you? Well, there were certain circumstances. My parents were older back in the 70s, being 40 on a waiting list for adoption was really not a common practice. Uh-huh. The reason that they ended up with me was because then like, the age had sort of been a negative to them up until this point. Um, once my situation had hit the newspapers and it was uh, every day there was another article and things like that for a little while, they chose my parents because they were older and because they were more mature and they felt that they would be able to handle the situation better at that point. Oh, and potentially wouldn't, you know, exploit right. who you were for their own gain or something like that. Or yes. for the attention. I mean, I stayed in foster care for, I believe, almost, a, not quite a year, maybe nine months I was in foster care while they waited for my biological parents or someone to come back and claim me before I was even really put up for what I was up for adoption at that point. So did you have at least three names before you were a year old? Uh, yes. <laughs> Whatever my birth name is, Jane Doe, because that's literally what's on all of my records from that time period. My foster mother called me Rebecca. And then when I got adopted, my parents didn't really like the name Becky Bell. So mm-hmm. they decided to change it. The the one I'm, I'm sad I missed out on was my aunt was rooting for Liberty. She wanted me to be Liberty Bell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and little me might have hated that, but older me <laughs> would have dug that as name. But yeah, like to change a name, Diane. <laughs> yeah, I know. What, what's so a fourth say, name change so you at this say, point? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we have it correct, um, my name is Billie Jean Marie Colby. And... Let me assure you, her credit score is looking pretty nice to me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Starting fresh. (laughs) Right? It wouldn't be a hard step to go back into that. But I'm assuming that I'm named for the the tennis star. Oh, Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King was really big at that point in time. So. Yeah, and you're. you're Because it was pre Michael Jackson. Jackson. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's pre Michael Jackson name. So at the time you find this out, this is pre internet, right? Oh, yeah. Way, yeah. way pre-internet. So it's, it's pre- I, I've i gone through microfiche. <laughs> right, right. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, pre-internet, pre-ancestry.com. Yes. You find this out. You find that you're a foundling. Is that a dead end at this time? Are you just like, oh, there's nowhere to go with this? Well, yeah, because that's how the story was given to me. It was like, look, you know, here's the rest of your story, but there's no end because there's no way to find any of these people. No one ever came forward. No one ever called the adoption agency. It was just a dead end. And so I lived with that dead end for, oh, I don't know how we found them. 40, 40 something. So let's say about 25 years of my life, I dealt with, I'm never going to know who I am. Wow. And I, I reached out to some crazy sources, too. Like, I hired a psychic because he told me if he touched my newspaper articles, he could help me. And unfortunately for me, oh, man, I should have seen it common. I gave him all, my original file of all the 
newspaper articles that my grandfather had cut out. And he lost them. Oh, no. They disappeared. And I've heard about that quite a few times in my adult life, which is why I went to the library and had to search through microfiche to get really crappy printouts of my original newspaper articles to replace the ones that I lost. Well, I didn't lose. The psychic lost. At that point, I had lost them all. I had no proof of anything of the story other than a couple of uh, documents that my parents still had in the safe deposit box. So I went to the library to print them out. That proved to be, <laughs> I had some really crazy stuff. And then I made copies and then I'd have 10 copies of the same thing. I was very disorganized <laughs> at that point of file, but I believe I did get um, most of the articles. As you were living through this as a, you know, you're still a young person at this point. Does it become like almost like a, like a romantic kind of point of pride? Like I was dropped off on a porch or is it always just this like haunting, like I, I cannot know who I am kind of thing. I, I, you know, I cannot find my family. I, I never thought about it that way, but I like that you put it that way. I think it goes back and forth between both. I think there are points in time that, I quite frequently, I'm not really a a topper person in a conversation, but every once in a while I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I was left (laughs) on a porch as a baby, you know, (laughs) because it's it's just one of those really crazy things. I mean, now it's a little bit more of a, I mean, I don't want to say it's more common now, but there's, it's been, TV shows have handled it, like the babies being dropped off at fire departments and things like that, that it's not quite as rare as a situation as it was like when I was 16 and found out, Oh yeah, I told all my friends at school. I'm like, yeah, you always thought I was weird. Well, here are, this is why, (laughs) this is why I'm weird. (laughs) I think you would have been weird either way though, Diane. So I don't really think it really had too much to do with the drop off. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've met most of my family. I I'm pretty sure I'd be, that's a crazy part. I'm pretty sure I'd be pretty much the exact same person. I don't think there would be much difference. Do you still celebrate your porch day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What I had been doing, and I I didn't, I don't think I did it since COVID because of COVID. I was taking a basket of fruit and leaving a basket of fruit on their porch on May 26th because I figured, you know, they they, they were just kind. I mean, I've sat down, I've talked to these people. This whole family is just such a neat family. The first time... We're speaking of the Amish family where you were left. Yeah, yeah. I found them on the internet. I kind of wish I wouldn't have at that point because of the situation. So I looked them up on the internet and I found their address. I drove around in that part of the the county and stopped at three houses that I thought was the right address that wasn't. And then I found them. And I think it's just, you get to a point where awkward's not even really weird anymore because you're just like hey did you have a baby left on your porch (laughs) but the Amish community and especially right in that area pretty much all still remember that story when I went to talk to the Lances uh, probably about three years ago she was saying how every once in a while it just gets brought up not that much happens in the Amish community I think that's that's big news Uh, the fact that they didn't have a way to call and get someone to come and get you right away because they didn't have a phone is another right. 
element to the story, which well, we should go over that. Yeah, let, like yeah, okay. We haven't really gone over. Um, I'd like in Diane's words, like to just the summary of yeah, uh, like so. Until a few years ago, what had you heard happen to you? Like from the articles? Yeah, like what what did you know before things started to be revealed? Well, basically the articles that I was shown when my parents sat me down and explained this to me. And there was a question you asked me earlier and I didn't quite answer it, which was why did my parents not tell anybody? Like they were terrified that I was going to, they were, someone was going to come back and get me. So up until that point where they sit me down and tell me the whole story, my parents, my mom's parents, and I, my family doctor are the only ones on the planet that know who I am. Oh, wow. I mean, I think that's probably, a, I would assume that's a fear of adopted parents generally, but specifically in this case where there's there could be a very clear cause to retrieve Yes, you. Yes. And my foster mother never took me anywhere without my hat. My ears, I did grow into them for the most part, but my ears were were quite large and I had a very, very bald head for a very long time. And after all the newspaper articles, they were afraid that someone would see me out and maybe kidnap me. So I always wore a hat everywhere I went. Were they afraid that that your biological family would try to kidnap you back or just someone else would try to take you? Both, I think, oh. if I if I understood the, the way they were explaining it, because they were afraid someone was going to come back and get me. But at the same time, after all the articles were in the paper, the main headline is the, the very first article that said, who would abandon this beautiful baby girl? Well, what happened was because that article got to be so people, so many people saw it, there were thousands of people calling the adoption agency to be my new parents. Oh, that makes sense. The popularity alone from the newspaper reporting is what caused a lot more secrecy because they weren't sure who was calling, you know. I mean, I'm pretty sure at this point from what I know, my parents weren't looking for me ever, that there was at no point during either of their lives that they were coming to look for me. So it's kind of... That's difficult. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't come up with a word for that. You know, I'm sorry to throw the word in there, but that, would, from my point, vantage point, difficult seems like a that that's a hard one to internalize. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I haven't dealt with really, really yet. I mean, I did start writing all of this, and then I got to a point where I was just so angry. Yeah. And the anger kind of took over and I've been stuck in, we'll call it angry land (laughs) for about three years now where I can't get past some of the things that happened. I get forgiveness and I, look, I've done a lot of that. Yeah. But But having children of your own and trying to put yourself in that position and knowing you couldn't do the same thing, I'm assuming. Right. Like you, you think like what, what goes through someone's mind? Yeah. How could you do that? How could could you you do do that? that? And do you have a sense now of what the mitigating circumstances were? Oh, absolutely. And there lies within the forgiveness because I won't say too much to incriminate him, but my father was a scary dude. And at some point or another, I believe that my mom, now that the car itself 
was my grandmother's car. She lived in Philadelphia. So we don't know who was in the car to this day. The only reason that we even know it's my grandmother's car is because when the Amish lady gave her statement to the cops, she said it was a big, long car and it was a four-door. And that was the only person in the family that had a big boat, big four-door boat at the time was my grandmother. Is there a possibility that neither of your biological parents were in the car and maybe your grandmother dropped you off? That is very possible. However, well, you kind of have to get in a little bit with my sister. My mother had a daughter older than me, and she was in a similar situation. I don't know if it was, I believe it was prior to my get her getting together with my, my biological dad. She put my sister up for adoption. Have you met that sister? No, she's the only sibling that I have that I haven't met face to face. We did do a a FaceTime back in the beginning and had made some plans, but I believe some of this triggered her mm-hmm. um, because when my grandparents found out that my mom had put her up for adoption, they went to Catholic Family Charities and adopted her. Oh, So she grew up part of her life believing that our mom was her older sister. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I don't. There's so I don't, many layers here. It's like I feel yeah. like I've already lo- I've already run off the track. I like have to get have to get us back into like a right. A this more, is strange, like, familiar as the soap opera version. Yeah, a more like <laughs> linear path to. Let's go back to yeah. Well, to, sorry, to we went the Amish way family off. and being left on the yes. porch, and you know okay. a little bit of like how that night or that early morning went. Now, right. Yes. Well, what she said was that she was having trouble sleeping. She was on the the third story of the house in her bedroom, looking out the window at the moon. She was just sitting on the edge of the bed. I mean, now Amish doesn't, they they wouldn't have had electricity. So any kind of outdoor lights or car lights, headlights, anything from the outside would have been very visible to them. Mm -hmm. And she said she saw a car coming towards her down the road. And there's like an S-curve there. So they would have had to go around the S-curve and then parked right next to what, where their chicken coops used to be. And then she said she saw someone get out of the, the passenger side of the car, open the back door of the car, get out something, walk it up, put it on the porch, get back in the car and leave. And they assumed <laughs> that it was probably kittens because the Amish have farms a lot of people in the area, if their cat gets out and would get pregnant and had to have kittens, would actually drop them off at Amish farms so that they would have good lives as farm cats. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't unheard of. So she really didn't like rush downstairs to see what was on the porch. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like just a problem waiting for a, later in the day, probably I'll yeah. have something to deal with, right? <laughs> right. And I believe it's it's her her son, and I, I might be getting that wrong. It might be her brother. I've, I'll feel bad either way, but somebody looked out the window at the basket and saw a hand, oh. at which point they realized it was I was not a basket of kittens. <laughs> and I'm thinking in late May, they might have had the windows open. So if yeah, and it was like midnight, it was it was completely dark. There wasn't and where they live, I mean, to this day where they live, it's not a high traffic area. 
it's not right on like the main drag of where you go when you go down to see the Amish. So it would have been way quiet. Well, I can't even imagine what, if any, conversation would have taken place in that car if it was all like a practical thing. Does this seem like a good place? Does it seem like it's inhabited? Like, and what the rationale behind the Amish were, if that was even a deliberate? Well, she she thought on it for a while. I was dropped off, she said, sometime around, I believe it was a little after midnight. And they actually didn't go and get the cops until, I think, somewhere after three. She really took her, took her time thinking about what she wanted to do. And to this day, what she what she talks to me about the most is how the community, the Amish community itself said, you know, God gave you a baby. Why did you call the cops? I mean, why didn't you just take this baby into your home and it becomes, you know, part of your family? She really took a lot of flack for it because it, it still bothers her to this day. And getting to meet me and talking with me as an adult, mm-hmm. Like was cool for her because she got to see that you know I turned out okay. Yeah, (laughs) I I made it. (laughs) All these sort of pseudo mothers along the way, you know, you've had the the nurses and you've had uh, the Amish lady and your foster mother. My foster mother, yeah, she was wonderful. And I just like as you know, as people who struggled really hard to try, try to have kids, and just knowing that hole in your heart that that when you finally do have children or you're able to adopt and like what a, I hesitate to say the word blessing because I'm not a religious person, but what a blessing you must've been to your family. Like just thinking like that they probably thought that that chance was gone and then you arrived. Like, right. That's an amazing, Oh yeah. Amazing gift. My parents knew that they were not going to be on the adoption list for much longer. Yeah. Like had it not been such a weird situation, that the courts felt that they were the more mature choice, they may not have ended up adopting at all. And you're an and only that, child, right? I, I am an only child, yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> in, in this world that I'm in right now, I, I very much feel like an only child. <laughs> Creating the relationships with my siblings at this point has been very challenging. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I grew up basically an only child of my mom was an only child and my dad had a younger brother and sister who lived nowhere near us. So there were really only five of us growing up, my mom's parents, my parents and me. Mm -hmm. And then I had my son and my grandmother passed away and then I had my daughter and then my grandfather passed away. So we really have only maintained that there's been basically five of us my whole life. It's good to keep it close. Like, just keep it just just yep. to a good circle. <laughs> Anything more, and it gets really complicated. Then I can't handle. Yeah, then I can't handle it. One ring circus, I'm good. Two ring circus, uh, I don't know about that. Three ring, forget it. So at the time, I think that we first met, and you first, Tim might have been vending, and I was probably busy, like yip yapping along. And, and you told me the story, and I and you were at a point where you had just. I think she told me first, and I said, "You have to tell this to Allison." Oh, yes, yeah, that's yes, how it was because I because yeah. well, I was be, like, I don't well, know this person, but I'm gonna have to ask. <laughs> be, see, you guys were safe because you didn't know anybody else that I knew, so yeah. I was like, I have to tell somebody, <laughs> and you guys are like my new friends, and I was busting. I mean, literally, that non-disclosure was killing me. Because I couldn't tell anybody 
what they had found. And it went on for six months. We filmed the TV show on April Fool's Day, and it didn't come on to the TV until December 11th. And in that whole time frame, I couldn't say a word. I know I said more than I, maybe a little more than I was supposed to, but it wasn't that it ever got out to the press or anything like that. It didn't ruin the TV show. I remember at some point Allison offering, she's like, you know, we can do DNA. We can figure this out through ancestry. And, and you were kind of like, the, it's in, they're working on this. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we can figure this out. We'll just, you know, we'll give a couple long nights, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When I hit 40 is when I started to have all the, well, not specifically 40, but between 20 and 40, I had some of those weird doppelganger things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. That was the original reason that I was talking with you about it. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yes. Tell (laughs) some of these stories. They were were really cool. It's utterly wild. I used to work in the mall here, and my friend also worked in the mall. And we had moved in together, I don't know when, maybe three months before this occurred. And she came over to me and she goes, why did you change your clothes? And I'm like, I didn't change my clothes. I've been at the mall all day. I've been working. And she's like, but I had a conversation with you like three hours ago. You were wearing a skirt. And so so here's my roommate, one of my best friends, who had run into, quote unquote, me at the mall where I was, had a conversation with me. She then remembers that maybe the girl looked at her a little funny after she was done talking, but she was up close and personal face to face and didn't realize it wasn't me. She had a whole conversation with the person. Yeah. (laughs) Like normal roommate things. Just she talked about what we were going to do for dinner and girl didn't stop her. I'm sorry. Someone comes up to me and starts talking to me about what we're doing for dinner and I've never seen them before. <laughs> we're we're going to have a couple clarification questions. Yeah. <laughs> like who not, do you think hey, I am? Not me. I'm ready for dinner whoever who wants <laughs> yeah. to go to dinner anytime. <laughs> okay, so if it's tacos, we're down. I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, so she had run into her at the mall. She then saw me, sad stopped over to to ask me when I was leaving. And then asked me why I changed my clothes. We were very, very confused by this. Did you have an idea that maybe you were like a twin or something? That, oh my gosh, yes. Because this is, that was the first time that happened. And that was in like, 
Oh, I'm going to say I worked in the mall in like 97, 96, 97. And then I ran into a couple other people at the mall who swore they worked with me before and have ne- I had never worked with any of them, like not at the stores that they had worked in. So I had pretty much convinced myself that there was someone wandering around Lancaster County that looked exactly like me. And now that a lot of people around here do look alike, but technically, genetically, you aren't from Lancaster County, right? <laughs> right. I am not. So let's shoot ahead a little bit to cell phone times. And my dad calls me on a Saturday morning and he starts kind of mimimin with me on the phone because I'm not paying attention to him. He's been waving at me for 15 minutes. I'm like, this is your father. This is my dad. (laughs) And I'm like, where do you think I am? (laughs) He thought I was at a pancake breakfast. He was waving at me from across the room in a pancake breakfast and was getting really miffed because I wasn't paying attention to him and I hadn't seen him. Wow. I was not, I was not at that pancake breakfast. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I was at home. (laughs) Wow. And then the worst one, the absolute worst one would have been in around 2000. Well, it was not the last one, but it's the one that, that got me in the most trouble. It's 2000, maybe summer 2000. I get a, a phone call from, at the time I'm engaged, from my fiance's mother. We talk. We hang out. It's not an uncommon phone call. I pick up the phone. I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's up? And she asked me why I'm in Central Market holding hands with a gentleman that is not her son. And I'm like, I'm not in Central Market walking around holding hands with someone who's not your son. Wow. I'm at home. And so she decided to follow that me around Central Market for a while and said the only difference is that her eyes weren't the same blue. She got that she got, close? That's how close she got. <laughs> wow. She did, she did not believe that that wasn't me. She believed that I was stepping out on her, her son. Wow. So, yeah, that one was potentially bad. <laughs> so for a long time, you, you figured this was maybe somehow connected to your, your family-ship. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because if I had nothing to go on other than this is where I landed. Yeah. Right, right. And now I have all these people, and these are people who know me, people that have had conversations with me, telling me that they're, they, they see me, they're talking to me. And actually, this is how the whole TV show thing started. We're going to shoot forward a, a little bit uh, sooner. I was a, deliver, a delivery driver in York County for, for about 12 years. And I had a delivery somewhere downtown York, nice area. And it said, please bring the package around the back. So I went down the alley behind the house and I knocked on the back door and I put the package down. And this very nice woman came out and she's talking to me, asked me how my mother's doing. I assume she knows my mom. My mom was a a church organist in this county. She had done that job for, I think, 65 years when she retired because she had started it at 15. So people knew my mom. That was not an uncommon thing. But at some point, some answer I gave her made her realize that I wasn't who she thought she was talking to. And she shut the door. She's oh. like, oh, okay, I got I to go. She shut the door and walked inside. Wow. And I, I went back out in the van, and I worked with Jeremy at the time, and I looked at him, and I said, 
this has got to stop. Somebody is wandering around here. Who now? Now we're in York County. Now we're a county over from where all this other stuff was happening. Someone looks like me, and this is making me crazy. So I called Lancaster newspapers and said, "Hey, um, you don't know, might remember me. I was on the front cover of your newspaper back in 1976 for being abandoned on a porch." Would you have any interest in doing any other article on me now that it's 40 years? And I'd kind of like to see if anyone will come forward. I still have no information. And I'd like to see. Well, they sent somebody like two days later. <laughs> and I've, I've just say just knowing Diane and seeing the picture of that baby, there is no way that is not her. Like, it is so definitively her. She yeah. has this look on her face like... Oh, so this is what we're doing today. Like, it's yeah. just so, it's like, she has this look like, okay, what else? <laughs> the really funny picture uh, is the one uh, that my mom had in her living room of her and me as a baby that she must have had taken before she left me on the porch. Uh huh. Because I make that face that she's making in that photo. Like mm. spot on, spot on. <laughs> wow. It's just like really. Do I have to be here? All right. <laughs> yeah, that photo is one of the other weird things in my life because my mom had it in her house in the corner on the shelf with all the kids' pictures. And no like one asked. Did they just think it was another kid in the family. Yes, my sister thought it was her. Ah. Um, only when we started gathering stuff for the television show did my sister realize that mom never had long hair when she was a baby. And mom has long hair in this picture. So it's not her. Before we and move on to that, <laughs> the mystery of the doppelganger never never solved. Never solved. I actually... Uh, Okay, so I was, I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I was really willing to do anything to learn anything about myself for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a girl at the mall who told me that one of her friends was also adopted and had come from weird background circumstances as well. She was also adopted in Lancaster County, and she wanted to meet me and thought maybe that the two of us were related. I never got to meet that chick. That was always crazy to me because the girl who was like the middleman between the two of us that knew both of us stopped working at the mall and never called me. Mm. <laughs> so there was a chick that thought I was related to somebody at one point, but it never, and, and I got used to that. Like everything I was never going to know. It was kind of like fun chasing the dream for a little bit. You could get caught up in, Oh, maybe I found somebody. Yeah. I mean, you definitely get lost in that romantic aspect of it. And it always ended up flat. But I was always good for the ride, though. You know, (laughs) (laughs) once you found out a little bit more about the the reality of what happened, did the doppelganger thing cease a little bit? Or are you still getting doppelganger experiences? Well, the lady with the package that caused this whole situation was the last one that I've had. But sometimes I go years in between. Mm-hmm. I quite frequently um, at my retail job get told, don't I know you from somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it turns into that whole, well, where did you work? No, where did you work? No, where? <laughs> and, and usually doesn't come out with anything, but I, I, get, I get that a lot. I don't know if it's my personality or what it is, but a lot of people think they know me. 
and I'm not famous enough for that. <laughs> you will be after this. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> so this, you know, modern article, this, you know, where is she now article in the Lancaster paper 40 years later or whatever it was that gets the attention of TLC. Yes. It, uh, it got picked up by the Associated Press, and when that happened, it went over papers all over the United States. And someone at TLC who works on that show saw it and decided that they needed to help me. They apparently were working on trying to figure some of that out before they had even decided like, to do the actual episode. Oh, wow. Like they were just uh, doing some background. Like, let's see if we get yep. a private investigator, how far we can get kind of thing. Yep. And they, um, they, they, <laughs> yeah, they said I was on the board the longest of the people that they had been trying to help. I will give a little bit away that one of my, when the newspaper article came out, I had been amazing friends with my high school boyfriend's mom. We were buddies. We had lunch together. Recently, we've played Pokemon to go together. <laughs> She's moved away, so I don't get to see her as much. She used to live in Lebanon, so it wasn't far for me to go see her. She actually paid and had sent to me the DNA kit. Ah, oh, she's okay. the one. Okay, so this she's, is how it she's, really begins to unravel. Yes. Now that happens right after the newspaper article. So that's before the TLC got involved. And at which point I did get those results back. In the, in the time frame before TLC calls me, I got my results back from Ancestry and I was hitting some of the people who are actually in my family were, were coming up. The problem was that no one knew whose kid I was. There was a wonderful, I believe she's a second cousin. And if I'm wrong, I will feel awful. She was our Ancestry person in the family from Texas. And when she got the match to me, she was trying to figure out where in the family I belonged. Yeah, because she would probably have a better sense of all the different possibilities that you didn't have. Yes. She actually thought I was her niece for a little bit because she had a sister who was a bit of a, an artsy recluse in Florida who may or may not have been pregnant roughly around the same time uh-huh. and had been living in New York. So it wasn't an unthinkable thing to her that someone in New York would, if they were going to abandon a baby, would come down to Pennsylvania to do it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So who was it in the family that actually kind of gave the like a potential lead that was really strong? Her. She was. Her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, oh my gosh, I am so blanking on her name right now. And I feel really dumb about it. I don't know my second cousin. (laughs) Kathy. (laughs) Kathy. Oh, Kathy. Oh my goodness. Old people brain starting to creep in on me. But yes, Kathy, and Kathy's wonderful. Her husband like worked for NASA. Uh, he was in the military, did all kinds of stuff. Wonderful people. She vouched for it because it, she made it a little bit less difficult for the television show when they started calling people. Uh-huh. When, um, they decided to take over. Um, I did a, a, a video test on Zoom or on Skype for the television show so that they could see if I was articulate enough, that kind of thing. Did a bunch of prepping stuff. When they came here to film, they specifically told me they had not found anyone yet, that they were filming the front half of my story 
so that they had it in case they found something. Were they lying to you? Did, had they found something? Yes. Oh, okay. yes. <laughs> oh, it's one but of those it, big, the big reveal. And I, and yeah. I mean, we definitely, I, th- I believe we actually ponied up like the money to we, rent. We <laughs> bought that episode. Yeah, we, we bought those episodes. Oh. <laughs> but it's yeah. been a while now since it, the original air date. So I said to, to Tim, I said, it's going to be kind of like we get to relive this all over again with Diane because <laughs> I've forgotten so much of it in the, in the intro. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a bit. So I remember they did they interview like an older man in a restaurant somewhere. Yes, and that is that is my my uncle Joe. Okay, that is my my mom's brother. Basically, they sent out the the letters to the people in the family saying, "Hey, we think we found someone that you know is part of your family. Um, they're desperately looking for stuff." They had included a letter from me. They had me write open ended letters. explaining my story that they sent along to my family saying, look, you know, this is, oh man, I don't want to cry. I've been doing so good this whole time. And that (laughs) was, that was really hard for me to do. I I think that's why I'm like in tears because having to write your story for someone that you're hoping says, yes, I want to meet you. Yeah. The amount of, (laughs) yeah. And, and it just, it was, the first close to, but I, I mean, I was under the impression they hadn't found anyone, mm-hmm. but just that letter writing thing was really like gut wrenching for me to sit down and try to pour all that out while still trying to seem like, Hey, I'm a fun person that you want to get to know. <laughs> I don't want anything from you. I turned out. Okay. I'm just right. looking for answers. Please help me. <laughs> well, I had a bit of that issue. One of my uncles in Florida was a MBA and he got the letter and he said, she's just looking for money and told the t- show basically he wasn't interested. He unfortunately passed away before I got to meet him. Uh, his wife is very, very nice. We're Facebook <laughs> friends. But yeah, like that's the biggest part of having the TV show help make those phone calls was that it, it wasn't, hey, I'm looking for money. Yeah. You know, hey, I think I'm related to you. I need a hundred grand. Is that cool? <laughs> um <laughs> So my younger sister, now this is the only person who I'm full-blooded with, um, my little sister, she got one of the letters, but because of her job at the time, she was on tour. So she wasn't home to get that letter. And by the time she got it, it was really, really late on. And then she talked to my Uncle Joe, who ended up also doing the television show, my Aunt Debbie, and they decided that it made some sense that I would be a family member for them. My grandmother, my, my mom's mom, who I look an awful lot like, <laughs> she got dementia and Alzheimer's towards the end of her life and lived with my Aunt Debbie and Uncle Joe. And as she was deteriorating, some of the things that she was saying made zero sense to them. Like the baby is dead. She quite frequently would talk about a baby. And so when my letter showed up and I came out of nowhere, they were more receptive because of the fact that it seemed plausible to them after some of the stuff that she had said. So had your um, uncle met you at any point before you were? No. No. The only family members that are alive that met me, that they believe met me, was my oldest sister, Carol, and my brother, Jamie. 
Um, they're the two oldest of my dad's kids. And they believe that they were put on a a train. Now, we all lived in Pennsylvania at the time. They lived in, like, northwest Pennsylvania. And um, my parents and me were in Philadelphia. Okay. The two oldest kids were put on a train to go see their dad. And my sister remembers there being a baby that wouldn't stop crying. Oh. So this would have been like a, just a small window of time because you were found when you were four months old or so? Well, see, that's the thing. This, the time frame with this is so crazy because that puts them at possibly seeing me at Christmas, which makes me older than what I ended up being given as a birthday. Which is in the paper, they were talking about you and how much you weighed, which seemed... And I don't know if maybe they just got it wrong, but it said something about being six pounds, which is, you know, on the... Not th- not three-month-old baby size, no. right? No, uh-uh. Yeah, I don't know if they got that wrong or not. The yeah. pictures of me, I don't look... No, you don't like, look emaciated by, you know, like... Yeah. some point, I noticed that, too, and I brushed it off as possibly being a typo because the maybe pictures Maybe it was 16, me, you know? <laughs> 16, yeah, and that would make... That would make sense, I think. 16 pounds. Yeah. But if you were, I mean, if you're like four, six months old, yeah, definitely. Right. Well, because they gave, when my parents picked my birthday, they gave them from February of 76. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. December of 75 to February of 76 is basically the time frame that they felt I was born in. Uh huh. My parents, of course, wanted the youngest baby possible. Thank you, guys. <laughs> so my birthday's in February. But with my brother and sister remembering a crying baby in Philadelphia, they think they were there around Christmas time or not long after Christmas time. That first of all, freaks me out because they're the only people on the planet that remember me from that point in my life. Yeah. When you were a different person, when you had a different name and that's everything. Wow. And to think that they might've held you or played with you. And they never asked about, I mean, in their memory, were, were you introduced as a sibling? They, they don't remember. They were they really, really little remember. too? They weren't too little. I don't know how old they are, how much older than me they are. That's bad. I probably should, but, but I don't. they were old enough to travel by themselves on a train. So That's what I was going to say. They were old enough to do the traveling. I mean, granted, it was the 70s. Yeah. Late 70s. <laughs> It was the late 70s. We were like, hey, kid, good luck. Hope you make it. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, they are a little bit older than me, but not maybe old enough. Maybe they were not quite teenagers. Oh, okay. Like, but, I'd know, say kids maybe. kids are so aloof at that age. It just might not have occurred to them to even think about. I mean, like, no one thinks I'm meeting a sibling that someone's going to drop off on a porch in a couple months and I'll never see him again. So I should really pay attention. Like, it just. Right. It wouldn't be in, in the wheelhouse of kids to to have those kind of, you know, kids are so sort of like. And I was a baby. I was annoying. <laughs> that's, what they rem- that's what they remember about me is that I cried a bunch and. Like, how to be, like, coddled, and I was annoying. Does that seem on brand? Like, is that the thing that where you were like, oh, yeah, that makes it make I'm sure that it was me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I know from that period of my life, when when I first went in to meet my adopted parents, uh-huh. my, my dad had a beard, and I was terrified of him. Uh-huh. Um, so I came out of this with a, an absolute terror and hatred of beards. Sorry, huh. Tim. Um, (laughs) but that was something that they noticed. And my, my biological father did have a beard. 
and apparently a very bad temper. We were talking so. uh, the other day about I shaved once in Ursula's life when she was, <laughs> what, maybe two? Yeah. Oh, my and, God. And I came out of the bathroom <laughs> without a beard. And she was right on the other side of the door when I come out, came out from shaving, and she just pointed up at me and went, no! <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately grew back the beard. Yeah, right? So she, but she grew up what? with someone with a beard, you know? Yeah, so. in the 70s, though, yeah, it was probably, a lot of people had beards, so. Yep. So it was a really odd thing that I, I, I mean, when, I don't think he had it the first time I met them. I think he had it the second time I met them. Oh, okay. Because I freaked out. And they didn't know why I freaked out. Like, it didn't make sense. <laughs> I wasn't really a freak out kind of baby, but I didn't like men with beards. Huh. And they say your your, your father did have a beard. Your, yes, he your, did. Your birth father. Uh, yes. Uh, do you think that's indicative of something like, like... Well, considering the situation and considering then what happens when my mom has my little sister, because at that point, it's the same parents... I disappeared, and then my mom and dad, I think my sister is two and a half years younger than me, and then they had another baby. And at some point or another, my mom became concerned enough for her well-being and my sister's well-being to pack both of them up and disappear. Mm. And so at which point she moved to, I believe, South Carolina. She had been a nurse at some point or had some nursing and one of her friends had fallen and broken both legs and both arms. So it was kind of in, I guess was attraction. Was that what that was called when oh, you were? Yeah, yeah. And so she took my little sister and went to help her recover from her injuries since she really couldn't do anything for herself. And it got my mom and my little sister out of what was apparently a bad situation. Ah. But then my dad decided to go back to his, original family. And then some of these details get a little fuzzy. Now I've spent more time with my dad's three kids, my three oldest siblings than I have with my younger sister. Um, we did vacation with them. I've hung out with my brother a lot. They're really great people. Granted, we're all adults. We're all busy. We all have things going on. We don't, they're in Virginia. The clo- my closest sibling is in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> and how many do you have total? Um, I'm the second youngest of six. Oh, okay. So and that, your little that, sister, your, your, your full biological sister is the youngest of all of your, yes. your mom's yes. kids. Well, she's in Colorado right now. She, I can brag about my little sister. She's amazing. <laughs> she's a seamstress, and she's currently working with the Jurassic World, the museum, the tours. It sets up for about six months at a time, and you get to go in and see all the dinosaurs and stuff like that. That's her job right now. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That is cool. So, so you're yeah, both artistic. Yeah, well, she did theater theater and uh and and design and i did a lot of that too we seem very much like sisters (laughs) (laughs) and you look i'm from the special that was on tv you look very much alike yes yes and we have very similar personalities i it's fun to hang out with my siblings with my kids because my kids pick up stuff that i do that my siblings do that i had no way of getting from them because i haven't spent much time with any of them at all yeah but little ticks that we all sort of share. It's it's kind of funny. <laughs> Your mom had passed by the time you became aware of all this. Um, my mom, my mom passed away 
in the fall before the show found them. Oh, wow. So I, I didn't I realize it was yeah. that close. Yeah, oh, wow. Diane, that must have been so Yeah, for, well, and especially for my little sister because she had just gone through all this with losing her mom. She had, had come off tour. She was staying with mom. She was Mom was in hospice care at that point. She had bladder cancer. She spent every day with her, talking with her, hanging out with her. And then um, when she passed away, my sister only had maybe two, three months to, uh, to recover from all of that before we dropped this on her lap. Wow, I wonder so, if, huh? if that was a comfort. I think it went back and forth. Mm-hmm. I think there was part of it that was, you know, you lost mom, but here's this older sister who is pretty much exactly like mom mm-hmm. <laughs> that has just kind of come out of nowhere. <laughs> wow, the timing is so sort of... Yeah. Oh, if there would have been any way in the world that I would have been able to push it ahead just long enough to have met her and give her some sort of, some sort of like, I mean, she, she never told anyone. She never told anyone. She, she didn't even admit it to my sister on her deathbed. Wow. And she admitted some stuff. I mean, she really talked with my sister and most of it was regrets with, with my, my older sister, Angela, and, and how rough that whole situation was. And none of it was me. So she took it to her grave. And I would have loved to have been able to give her some sort of reprieve from that. Yeah, unburden her from that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just have a few minutes to say, like, I don't, I don't have to keep this secret. And it, and it turned out, okay, I made the right decision. Right. Give something. So, so yeah. I definitely, I'm not an overly religious person myself, but I, I really definitely, I spend a lot of time talking with my mom because I feel like I know her. Like the stories that people have told me and, and that was the one thing I kind of annoyed everybody with on these little family get togethers was I just wanted every story about my parents. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know, was my dad ever a happy dude? Was he ever funny? You know, like the stories I wanted to know what, who these people were because I didn't get to meet either of them. My dad passed in the nineties, I believe 91 or 92. He had heart issues. But he had gone back to his first wife and his original children after he couldn't find my mom and my little sister. Oh, wow. And that's kind of weird, too, because some of the stories that I've heard from my family about when my dad left was that he staged his own death in a motorcycle accident. And he was friends with a lot of the police officers, and they helped him get away with it. Oh, wow. So this yeah. idea of like sort of a, escaping your life and starting anew is not necessarily just your story. No, no. I mean, you got to figure I'm made of them, yeah. you know? <laughs> so at some point or another, everything that they did to become who they were is part of me. Yeah. That's true. No. Yeah. So I think when we were talking about how this sort of unraveled, so it was like your uncle that kind of, officially put it together that it might have been his sister that had a baby and and then were they able to do more testing to figure out out if that relationship worked well at that point once my my uncle was involved uh him and his wife both did the dna tests my little sister did the dna tests i don't know if any of my older siblings did 
I know that there's some Colby's I'm attached to on Ancestry.com, but I don't think it's any of the three of them. I'm not sure. Anne might have. My little sister did the DNA test, and that came up that we're siblings, that we are full-blood siblings, at which point it was kind of hard to deny that that's who I was to the family. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. DNA is... uh, (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's given some answers to people, I'll tell you that. Yeah. So I realize this is kind of an ongoing journey. But Oh yeah. <laughs> having come through not knowing anything from from just being a foundling, from just the story of being left on the porch of, of the Amish family to, you know, finding out a good bit about what happened. Do you feel like more centered or or, or like you have more of an understanding of your place in the world now on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say I'd have to because I I have much more closure medically. If we just take everything emotionally away and look at it from a medical angle, I now know things that I should know. Right. I went went years and years of my life going to doctors having to say, I don't know what Mm. runs in your family. I don't know. Right. Right. I have no idea what runs in my family. So... Medically, that's been cool. To I'm starting to get some testing and things like that done at a slow pace because part of me thinks that I'm good just because I didn't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I know. It, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's no point. Like, yeah. I mean, I I came to terms with so much at different times. Like, I always knew I was adopted and came to terms with that. Then I found out I was abandoned and I came to terms with that. And then I lived with that for a really, really long time. And now having some answers, I mean, there's the handful of things that could have gone better. I could have found them before my mom passed away. I have some big holes in my heart where like my mom and my sister used to rent a movie and do crafts on Sunday nights together. I would have died to have something like that in my life growing up. So... I do have a bit of a, I wonder what I would have done had I grown up in that family. I feel still sort of black sheepish and a little, a little bit like I don't necessarily belong, even though I do now. Yeah. I mean, but how, yeah. I mean, how can you how not can you? feel like a yeah. little black sheepish, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely ongoing. Mm-hmm. That, that would be the best way to put it. And it is, I mean, one of the best things that I got involved in is a, a bunch of Facebook groups. I'm in, I'm in foundling groups. Um, oh yeah, where, I wondered if you ever met someone who had gone through the yes. same thing. And I, I talked with some people after the show aired. I had some people who were similar situation to me reach out to me, and just want to talk. And yeah. I was like, hey, you know, here, message me, feel free. And we we talked about you know, how, how to overcome. Cause I guess the, the most common thing among us is that imposter syndrome because oh, yeah. we never really know who we are. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that affects you, you know, growing up and creating who you are. Yeah. And it, it would be very difficult, like, because you've written this, this narrative, because it's all that you knew that I was abandoned, I'm, I'm a fouling. And to try to flip that and say, like, um, this was a blessing, this was a gift of love that my mother did, because she thought this was the best thing for me. It, that's hard to take on after you've had 40 years of I was abandoned. Right. 
Oh yeah, it is. And, and being able to find that forgiveness, that point where you're not angry anymore. Like I said, I'm not there yet. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not outwardly angry. I'm not like vicious. I'm not going after my siblings or anything. Cause at the end of the day, all the people who are involved in my beginnings are gone. Right. There's not a single person alive that I can talk to that, you know, technically met me or had anything to do with where I ended up and how it, how I ended up. So being angry with my sisters or my brother or, you know, it, it does me no good. It's right. just futile. So, so I'm not really angry like that, but I'm still working through it. I, I feel like I missed out on some stuff and there's definitely the rabbit hole of would I, I mean, I, I pretty much said at the beginning, I think I am who I was going to be no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How, however, there is also the wormhole in the back of my head that says, who would I have been? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say, let's say that, you know, when she finally left, she took me and my little sister what would have my life been at that point? I mean, my mom went on to marry a wonderful German, German fellow. They had a, a very, very good marriage. Uh, he adopted my little sister. She believes him, you know, she, he is her dad. And he gave her, my understanding is that she's close, she was closer with him at some points than she was with other people in the family. And I'm glad that she had that person in her life. And he never knew either. He ne- she never mentioned anything. My grandmother and my mother had pictures taken of me before they left me on a porch or whoever left me on the porch. And my grandmother had a pin and she would wear it on her bra underneath her clothes. That was, that was my picture. Wow. My mother had the keychain and it was in her jewelry box. Oh. And then to top that is the picture that was in the living room corner shelf right. for my, my sister's whole life. Wow. And, and so I was there, but I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> for the fact that they, they never told another soul, the fact that they, they kept it all to themselves was one thing, but I was still there. Like, that's crazy to me that they did think of me. How long would you really wear a picture of a little baby that you left on a porch you know, I'd wear it forever. (laughs) Yeah. And she did. And they, they gave me those. I have the pin and the keychain. That's That's actually really nice. Yes. We had this, like all these layers of like mother daughter relationships and like that kind of incredibly intimate secret to keep with another person forever. Forever. Yeah. And just be the only two people who are like, Alzheimer's was the only reason that my grandmother ever let any of it slip. Wow. And do you think she told herself to be able to live with it that you died? Do you well, think no, that's that- what they, so, 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 I think that's what they told everybody. My understanding oh. is that my mom had a baby and she, they told everyone I was very, very sickly. I was very frail. My chances of surviving were not very good from the jump. And that at some point when I was gone... I was gone. Uh, babe, the baby's dead. Mm. And I hate to say it, but it's kind of genius yeah. because there's no one that's going to needle a mother about a dead child. Yeah. Like yeah. you're no. not going to come back at her and be like, are you sure that baby died? 
Yeah, yeah, you would never say that. No one would ever say that. So the fact that if that was the approach that they took, which it seems like it was, you know, you weren't going to bring that up. It's a sore subject. Even as my uncle, I mean, his, 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 his sister, he never wanted to question that because of how deep a wound that would be. Yeah. But no one, there was never any talk about like a funeral or where you might be buried nope. or not. My parents traveled around a lot. At some one point, I believe they were in Kansas um, at one point. And this is why we're having a really hard time finding my birth certificate. I wanted to know that if, you, if they had found yes, your birth I still don't have it. Still don't have it. So you still don't know what day you were born. No, my uncle is a retired police officer and he has been pulling strings and he has a file. He has made this some one of pet project for him to see if he can find my birth certificate. Oh, you wouldn't think this is like would be that difficult. Like it's not like you were born in 1892. But they don't know where. Yeah. And they don't have a day. They know that there was an, a, a social security number that was issued with my mother in Connecticut. But when he went down the path of that social security number, he was told it was a boy. Now, the problem we have is my name. If my name is Billy, and Ah. that's what that lady saw, then the possibility is that she thought that I was a boy. Right. Which then puts me being born in Connecticut. And the thing is, like, I think when we were kids, you didn't necessarily, it wasn't like now where you basically are issued a, um, a social security number immediately upon the child's birth. I think, like, you could wait you had a to while. send away for it. Yeah, I figure you have to how to send away for it at that point. Yeah. It wasn't the instantaneousness of our hospital systems now. Wow. But, yeah. So, I mean, there's still research going on. How did your parents feel about this whole journey for you? Were they happy that you found answers? Were they? Uh, I don't know. I had people at the very beginning, and God, give Jeremy some credit for this because he came to me and said, you do realize that once you open this can, you can never close it again. Yeah. I really thought about that for a long time because before we did the TV show, I had X number of answers and I could have gone the rest of my life with those because it was still more than I had mm-hmm. and then I decided to go through with it anyway now my parents were thrilled when the, the camera crews and stuff were here it was my dad he pulled his car out their whole garage was all their equipment and things like that and it was it was a fun day of filming and we filmed on a on a Monday and we filmed on a Tuesday then they said they were going to go see Amish country on Wednesday, which they actually went and filmed my sister in New Jersey. (laughs) And then Thursday, they brought me back and said there was a couple things that they wanted to shoot yet. So could we do it in the evening? Sure thing. No problem. They came in. um, They had me look over the newspaper article. And at which point they showed me the baby picture of me with my mother. Oh, wow. Oh, they did it on camera. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but but that's for the show. And I I respect that because they they are putting out a a television product, you know, for reality TV. It's really heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. They were trying to help you, I think. Right. Yeah. And if it gets some ratings and things like that, I get it, too. You know, I I understand. I I knew going into that that some of this would occur. Yeah. (laughs) 
Were you prepared? I, like, did you have an inkling like that it might be one of these kind of shocking like reveals? No, no, oh. no. I totally bought hook, <laughs> line, and sinker that they were only here to film the front end of the show, and that they had nothing. Not a single person on the crew or cast gave me any. I and they had already met my sister before they met me. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. And it, each one of them at some point came to me and said, you have absolutely no idea how hard that first day of filming was with you as you talked about not wanting to be alone oh. and not, not wanting to, to, you know, spend the rest of your life without knowing and, and stuff like this. And they all knew. And when we were off screen, they, we, we sat and talked for a long time and they just filmed all of it. Oh. And we stopped filming for a minute. And someone said, I need the sisters over here. This is the very first time in my life that anyone had called me a sister. And I lost it. (laughs) Kind of like I'm doing right now. Yeah. But I absolutely lost it because, no, I had never had a sister. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden this guy's like, no, no, I need the two sisters over here. And it was like, oh, my God, I have a sister. Diane, what an incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing it with us. Absolutely. You guys have been great. I wanted to do this since the time you started the podcast. I don't know. I've always like, why don't we call Diane? And then I think mainly we were thinking about it right before COVID. And then we're like, well, now we can never talk to anyone ever again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Man, that threw a big monkey wrench into lots of stuff. Might Strange Familiars listeners see you on Alpa Twitch today? Uh, they very well might if they decide to come and take the trolley ride. Because I am, and it's getting to be that season, I'm so psyched. I hate the cold, all right? And I'm, I'm a horrible, horrible wussy when it comes to being outside when it's cold. Uh-huh. So, so now that the, the seasons are starting to warm up, now you'll find me up on Chickie's Rock at 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will be seeing if I can encounter some more stuff and check my gifting site, which I haven't gotten a chance to do for quite some time, unfortunately. I will see if I can gather some more information and stories for Alpha Twitch Day. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So if you take the trolley rides, Diane is sometimes the person giving the trolley tours on Alpha Twitch Day. I mean, and, and isn't that the, the biggest act of gifting? She is the gift. She's the gift. Yeah. <laughs> she was gifted. Aww. All right, Diane. Thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Ninety days to the perfect puppy. If you have puppy problems, it's hard to imagine puppy problems. How could a puppy be a problem? Oh, they can be a problem. <laughs> you're trying to establish a relationship. You're trying to train your puppy. You need help doing this. The old school methods. It's not really done anymore. The rolled up newspaper. There's new ways of doing things. The idea is to form a relationship with your puppy to kind of meet him in the middle. You're not changing the puppy so much as you're learning about the puppy, the way the puppy thinks. And you meet them in the middle, and you develop a relationship. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you develop that relationship. They help you and your puppy become perfect for each other. With online sources, video lessons, a secret Facebook group. Are you a member of any secret Facebook groups, Allison? I wouldn't tell you if I was. Because they're secret. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Gotcha. If you want in to the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy secret Facebook group, I can probably get you in, even though you don't have a puppy. So I can just watch other people's puppies? Yeah. (laughs) They have one-on-one options as well. You can find 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy at sithappens.us. 
Again, that's 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. You can find them at sithappens.us. This is a symbolically appropriate curiosity of the week, Allison, with the hidden mother. Yeah, I always think it's kind of a good analogy for motherhood generally, for people who might not have seen these pictures before, to get a baby to stay still during the early days of photography. Sometimes they just throw a blanket over the mom's head and just have her kind of be behind the baby holding it in place. And then sometimes if you could see that there was a figure, they would just kind of mat that out. And so what you'd be left with was like a baby on a blanket. But when you remove any kind of a mat, what you see is a kind of a haunting blacked out figure. Holding a a baby. Holding a baby. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot of people collect them because they are sort of ominous and spooky. Yeah, they're definitely neat. Great idea to use this for both the episode image and the curiosity of the week. This is a tintype photograph of a hidden mother holding a baby. Yeah, there have actually been um, a few photo books dedicated to them. Oh, just mm-hmm. the hidden mother photographs. Oh, that's neat. This photograph, if you go to the show notes, you can see an image of this. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this and other curiosities of the week. While you're at Etsy, make sure to check out our other stuff. All of my books are up there. When you get them from Etsy, they come signed. Strange Familiars t-shirts. There are still High Strangeness Tour shirts left. You know, I think we have most sizes, small through extra large right now. I'm not sure if we have any 2X left. The 3X are gone for sure. But still a lot of High Strangeness shirts there. And of course, we have the original Awoken Tree shirts there as well. And while I was at Free Comic Book Day last week, it was a rainy mess. It wasn't so crowded. So I had time to knock out a couple drawings. So there's a couple drawings. I guess they're sort of in that style of monsters under the hospital bed that I was doing. One's a undead werewolf and, of course, a Bigfoot. If I'm going to start like just do warm-up sketches and stuff, I always kind of knock out a Bigfoot. So I added those. There's other original artwork up there. There's prints of my artwork. Some of my music is up there. Lots of antique photographs Allison has added and much more. Our shop name at Etsy is Lost Grave, but if you type in Strange Familiars, you should see our stuff pop up. While you're on Etsy, check out Chad's shop, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors, and check out our friends at Karmic Garden as well. That's it for this week's Strange Familiars. Patrons, the Hex Hollow episode will be dropping very soon. Patreon.com slash Strange Familiars for that. We'll be back soon with more. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stone Breath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. We are on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word, and you can always find us where, Allison? Strangefamiliars.com. Woo! Close the wind.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.